swaying in his wicker basket on Hodor's back. The boy hunched down, ducking his head as the big stable boy passed beneath the limb of an oak. The snow was falling again, wet and heavy. Hodor walked with one eye frozen shut, his thick brown beard a tangle of hoarfrost, icicles drooping from the ends of his bushy mustache. One gloved hand still clutched the rusty iron longsword he had taken from the crypts below Winterfell, and from time to time he would lash out at a branch, knocking loose a spray of snow. Hold the door, he would mutter, his teeth chattering. Where is the three-eyed crow? Where? (laughs) I'm going to take us around in circles, guys. Every time you keep asking or thinking, don't even think it. We're beyond the wall. Such a good daughter. We're back. (laughs) We had a a pretty fun, uh, enjoyable squad cast just before this. Uh, Zach uh, told some very interesting stories. And uh, it was mostly about furniture, actually, um, which (laughs) Hannah had a lot to say about, too. We sell these squadcasts so well. Changing gears. We talked about Batman versus Superman. We talked about some TV shows. Yeah. I'm trying to build it up here a little bit. Yeah, yeah. All (laughs) all the relevant topics (laughs) and coffee tables. All of the relevant, you know, nerd stuff, geek stuff. Even some Harry Potter was cited and quoted like we do from time to time. I tried to talk about Game of Thrones, and I was told that that was banished. Well, we had to save it, you know? (laughs) For the show. It had to be saved for this time. It's really nice to be back uh, with all four of us. We just had two weeks straight of discussion of the completely filled the brim season six trailer. I almost called it season two because of the rewatch. (laughs) It's so fucking good to be back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the hype for season six uh, is pretty unbelievable. I got the chance uh, on my way home, actually, last week to, to swing by Herald Square where they did this uh, massive uh, watch party um, for uh, the Dance with Dragons, right? And it seemed like part of it. I didn't get to stay for the whole thing, so if you want to call me a bad fan, call me a bad fan. But You're a bad uh, fan, Micah. There, there, was, there was literally not enough space to be able to do that. Oh. Uh, it, was, it was packed to the brim. Uh, this awesome. was after, actually, earlier in the day, they had done a dragon landing event uh, down in Union Square, uh, so they're hitting up all the squares in New York City, and uh, good shape. <laughs> it was a uh, really cool promotion for for season six, and uh, part of uh, what they were screening out in Herald Square sounded, at least to me, like it was narrated by one uh, Pedro Pascal. So uh, I'm sure they use different uh, actors for this, but uh, I just think uh, a great way to kind of get uh, the community engaged, and certainly what better way to do that than to screen something. Uh, in in Midtown Manhattan, outside, right next the hard home screening, hmm. Hmm. Madison Square Garden. <laughs> <laughs> Please, can we have that? I'd go. Hey, they did a Barclays, so the Garden is up next. I know, and we have all this news that's been spattering out. I mean, honestly, there's been um, it's been characteristic for this time of the year, but characteristic in the past because the season is always starting very, very near to the date that we're sitting at right now. But just today, Entertainment Weekly had sort of two little tidbits that were spidered out by HBO PR. One stating season six is the best one we've done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which (laughs) straight from the horses' (laughs) mouths, David and Dan. The other, uh, and this has just been hyped up all day, I saw it trending, 
whatever that means. <laughs> There's an upcoming battle in season six that is the biggest battle that has ever uh, crossed television screens. Mm-hmm. Which, given big, the big, battles big, big, that we've big. already seen in Game of Thrones, is kind of exciting. What are your favorite battles? Uh, Blackwater. Yeah. I would say black. <laughs> Just in general. Eric, Eric, this is a Game of Thrones <laughs> Let them come. Did, uh, did they, is there any fighting in uh, Minas Tirith? Is that a thing? They... Yeah, the Battle of the Pelennor. There you go. Okay, that one too. Yeah, the Red Dawn. That was a, yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll see something along that scale. I'm not sure. That was, uh, now my mind's in a different place thanks to you. Well, they mentioned, I thought uh, it was... <laughs> see how subtly so Micah... I shoved it onto the other plane of existence. Micah likes Blackwater a whole lot. I think it's probably because uh, the uh, opening ceremonies by Braun, right? Of course, yeah. I think that's, yeah. It's on, that's... it's on like Bronchi Kong. <laughs> <laughs> I think what that was one of the memes. Hannah? I would put Blackwater too, honestly. Yeah. I don't know how you guys aren't saying hard home. I mean, well, Hard Home is great, but that's obviously the connection. But is... everyone survived. What are you talking about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Except for no everyone. No one's actually else. dead. Except for the ones that, yeah. God, that shot, though, with John and 1 1, and they're all run- they're running toward the camera. Yeah. That was just like. And 1 yeah. 1 just wading uh, along. To the sea! Really unbelievable. But uh, M- Miguel uh, Sapochnik, uh, mm-hmm. who uh, directed or set up the, the Hard Home sequence is uh, directing this episode that's going to contain the biggest battle yet. Yeah, that's awesome. This time with 100% more horses. Yeah, he's directing the ninth and 10th episodes. Oh, that's it's cool. Gonna be good. I thought it was interesting how they said that they were kind of asking why nobody had seen battles like this on TV more often. And then as soon as they started doing it, they're like, oh, this is why, because it's very mm. hard. They know why. TV's got Expensive a different budget. Too. Yeah. Yeah. What do, you, what do you think about the comment that it's the best one we've done in relation to season six. I feel like that's something that you have it. to say before every season, don't you? Well, but yes. I do believe mm-hmm. it. I do believe it. I saw Maisie Williams. She tweeted out something very similar to this uh, earlier today. But when 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 David Benioff and, and Dan Weiss say this and, and, and the actors say it, I, I'm actually prone to believe it. Like, I don't think it's just hype. I think it's the actual truth. They They truly believe that this is the best season to date. Because we have nothing to compare it to. That's true. We don't have the books yet to compare it to. Guys, that must mean that Winds of Winter is going to blow A Storm of Swords out of the frozen water. Think about it. Frozen water. I, I so. love what you did there. Two books of setup uh-huh. for Winds of Winter. You see, we, we've, we've spoken about how season four reached a moment in the series and how season five, I guess for this whole past year, almost a year now, was kind of the reflection period, sort of in the way that the fourth and fifth books are and in a way of, of setting up and, and moving the song into a different piece before it maybe reaches and crescendos in another way. The TV show reflected the series in that way, right? Like that, that, that was sort of our guess. So seeing this headline bodes well for that. In addition to the headline, there was also a tweet storm recently. I think that's what people are calling him now. When someone tweets a whole lot, I think Kanye West like coined the action, but now everyone's doing it, right? <laughs> you sure it wasn't Norm MacDonald? It might have been Norm MacDonald. He had a few of them. Let's give it to Kanye, though. <laughs> Writer and producer of Game of Thrones, our friend Brian Cogman, has been tweeting a countdown of his 10 favorite episodes, which is a pretty special thing when someone so close to the series is this accessible to all of us. Right. Mm-hmm. in that sort of unedited, unedited free-flowing way. Mm-hmm. And he recently covered two swords. He was sort of live-tweeting the episode. Mm-hmm. And 
a lot of really fascinating information came out of that. But for me, something that really struck and kind of blends with what we're talking about right now is he he said that season four was sort of like the end of a of an act or a part of the television series, which we can equate to the overall story that they're at least telling. Mm-hmm. And so we can guess that five played its part and using other context clues, season six, if season six isn't the reach from what season five was setting up, if that's just the parcel, if it's, if, if it's, if it's so good that it's what everyone is billing it to be and what the hype is billing it to be, if it's so good and it's not the full extent of where, the show's going to go and season seven and eight. And that's even cooler. Absolutely. I I mean, I'm slowly getting into all the buzz that's surrounding season six outside of the trailer. I mean, I, it's, it's always hard to, you know, do, do you immerse yourself into it? Do you let it kind of overtake you as all this new information is, is being released? We have Kit Harrington giving interviews and and of course he's not going to say LOL. definitively that that he's back in season six. Like, oh, I'm a dead body and that's all I do and it's some of my best uh, acting that I've ever done. And, and you have Ian McShane dropping hints about things that happened in season six and he's not too bashful about it, right? Yeah. And, uh, and you know, he, definitely one of the larger uh, casting announcements uh, for this season. So. Uh, yeah. Who knows how long he's actually going to hang around if he's not that afraid to just kind of say, oh, you know what? He had an amazing quote, and let me see if I can find it before. <laughs> it's just Tits uh, and Dragons. Yes, it's just Tits and Dragons. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, so I, I just think that's a great attitude to have uh, uh, when you're a part of uh, something like this. Even they seem excited, and they're proud of what, what they put together. And so, yeah. And the fact that the hysteria hasn't ebbed you know usually there's a part of the hype that surrounds things like this i mean all franchises i feel like i've seen it whether it was film franchise or tv uh, franchise that you know extended in once we get to around seasons five and six at, at the very least sometimes it's even sooner a bit of that starts to chill out but the numbers continue to increase and hopefully everything else does right and and just a lot to look forward to. I think still we have at least right one more trailer, possibly more than that. I would hope. Yeah, I'd... and this is only season six. Like Zach was yeah. saying earlier. So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. know if that gets you excited or or what. This is the uh, the three hundred and seventeenth episode of our podcast as well, or is it eighteenth? Uh, no, eighteenth to three hundred eighteen. Yeah. yeah. The um. That's, and I mean, only only four weeks remain until we can actually start seeing some of these episodes in this season. Four weeks and five days at the time of recording, fewer, lesser when we're uh, when you're listening to it uh, at home or wherever you may be. And we only have four weeks left with the feast with dragons, though, ah, which is ex- a little sentimental. <sighs> I'm excited to get. I'm really excited to get to season well, six. So I'm going to miss not, being in the book. It's, it's not really goodbye after all. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> We're not going home. See you later. <laughs> not really. Before we get into uh, talking about Bran and, and Arya today, uh, I think there are some important questions that we should be asking ourselves with season six on the horizon. And, and fortunately enough for us, one of our listeners, Paul Kay, came up with a few of those questions. And I think these, these really 
you know, they're at the core of, of A Song of Ice and Fire and, <laughs> and, 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 and the television series. Where is Gendry? Where is Rickon? They're together on a boat. <laughs> Having more fun uh, than everyone else in the series. Out of Blackwater Bay. Uh, the first one, which, again, these, these are really pivotal questions. Important uh, questions. He asks, will undead Catalan still despise undead Jon Snow? <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually kind of an interesting question, though, right? She if she remembers. does, how can you tell? She's not going to, what's she going to like say, say some mean remark about him? She can't, she can't talk. Now they have something in common. Oh. Mm. They're going to find some common hallowed ground together. Undead Catelyn despise undead John. This is like a joke question, but I also am thinking a a lot about it. Yeah. It's interesting because I actually read an article um, where George was quoted and he made it a point, and I think we've discussed this on the show before. Zach definitely alluded to it when we were when we were doing the epilogue of A Storm of Swords, and that is that undead Catalan or Lady Stoneheart is is not the same as as Lady Catalan, right? These are these are two very very distinctly different individuals. So, well, I mean, it's just that she has all, all the memories of being brutally slaughtered, <laughs> right? Like, you wouldn't be the same. His his point was that he introduced Beric Dondarrion very early on in A Game of Thrones as, you know, this young knight riding into King's Landing. And he said, yeah. that is not the same person that you're introduced to later on in the series. Right. And it's it's the idea that as these people are being brought back to life multiple times in, in the case of Beric Dondarrion, they are not who they were previously they are losing parts of themselves and so the 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 the, the goals the relationships that lady catalan may have had are not going to be the same as, as lady stoneheart and so i think it's safe to say maybe she wouldn't dis- despise john snow maybe she would find a, a use for him in her ragtag group of uh friends <laughs> companions yeah and with someone so much of our family gone i wonder if that either will make her resent him even more or <laughs> you're alive to still <laughs> yeah you're still you got here. to come back to life what yeah. the heck <laughs> yeah i can't talk about see, the walking I, dead from earlier i mean <laughs> yeah i can't see lady stoneheart being like a more loving version of catelyn i can't can't do it more tolerable that is funny can we read the uh-huh. next question and everybody has to yes. answer the first thing that comes to their head without oh yes okay this is like the dueling club we're gonna do this right now who would win a drinking game of wits, Princess Bride style, between Tyrion and Littlefinger? Tyrion. 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 Really? Tyrion has more wits than Littlefinger. And honestly, I've seen Tyrion drunk more than Littlefinger, <laughs> and he still carries his wits about. That's a fair so. point. Is, I guess in a drinking cup, game, that's though. a fair point. Yeah. Oh, hmm. I don't know. I, th- I would have said Littlefinger first. I don't know which of them would have built up an aversion to poison. It'd be much more likely that Littlefinger would have an aversion to poison built up. Yeah, I wonder. Or he, Littlefinger would have someone to tell him which one was actually poisonous. <laughs> like someone on the side? Like I don't know. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this isn't a team game. Never He's mind. He's got one of the kettle blacks yeah. just on the side. Whispering like, in his one. ear. Psst, psst, that psst. one. But Tyrion, you know, Tyrion pulls like tricks out of his pocket. One of my favorites, personally, is just his use of High Valyrian. He's like, yeah, I learned this when I was younger. I'm like, Tyrion, yeah, you're good. You're a good dude. You're a good guy. Yeah. I don't know. But this uh, this final question here, this is an interesting one. I know I'm already planning my cop-out answer for it, but uh, but he asks, <laughs> if you had to pick a god in Game of Thrones to follow, which god would you pick? 
or are they all the same? Hmm. Uh, so I'm going to go with uh, the many faced God. Thank you very much. Good night. <laughs> uh, but what, 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 guys, I'm curious. Is there one of the seven that you admire more? Uh, or would you go sort of Stark style with the old gods? Uh, what do you guys think? I'm definitely going old gods. Yeah, I knew you would. I've seen it. I've seen the proof in the pudding. Yeah. I think. Well, you can also follow Raylor. He uh, gives birth to shadow creatures. Mm-hmm. And blades. And has cr- That's true. crazy hot followers. It is a really huh. good tie-in into both chapters that we're going to read today. <laughs> it is, right? Especially, especially once Arya ent- enters the uh, the House of Black and White. Right. And she sees all of these deities. Uh, so maybe maybe I'll wait until that point to answer the question and see which one just looks the coolest. Yeah, that so works. stay tuned, everyone. <laughs> Without any further ado, it's time to talk about this Brandon Stark chapter. I have to say out loud that Cold Hands is back. Yes. It's so hard to, in in some ways, gauge the time passages. Like, so much has happened since we last saw Bran uh, beneath the Black Gate uh, sort of heading off into unknown territory with Cold Hands, who he had never met, but Sam and Gilly had. And, you know, this is the first time in uh, over a book, if you're reading in publication order, that you get anything at all from Bran. And, and it's exciting to see, obviously, that he's still alive, but he's he's on a quest. And his quest, you know, which has lots of tie-ins to the prologue of, of this book, we'll talk about them uh, a little bit later, bring back a lot of the magic and mysticism that we crave, I think, as readers. Uh, this chapter yeah. is great. Yeah, I love that. I like the magic element of it, specifically because there's there's a line in one of the first few paragraphs that says, there was a stillness to this wood like nothing Brand had ever known before. Yep. And, and just that by itself makes you think that there is some mysticism some magic that is here that we really have yet to learn about and as you're going through this chapter and there's a number of different examples that that makes you realize that what's happening here i don't know that necessarily you're at the point where it's more important than what's happening in the rest of the book but it's just so different and yeah it's good nice to be able to go to a place that you feel like is 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 a little bit different than than the rest of the story that's taking place. And just thinking about who Brand's traveling with, we got Brand who who can warg and Cold Hands who's with riding this massive elk with ravens on his shoulder, and we've got Jojen <laughs> Reed who may or may not be a green seer, and Summer and Mira and, and Hodor. I mean, this is a squad just going yeah, through is, these cold frozen woods. Yeah, Full squad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, they have a raven or crow escort, which is which is the coolest thing <laughs> yeah. to me. It's I want to like, read the quote from the book. Yeah. Are we there yet? This is real. This is actually in the book, listeners. Mm-hmm. All right. This is this is awesome. By day, only half only half a dozen <laughs> ravens stayed with them, fl- <laughs> flitting from tree to tree, or riding on the antlers of the elk. <laughs> <laughs> what a the rest of the murder flew ahead or lingered behind but when the sun sank low they would return 
descending from the sky on night black wings until every branch of every tree was thick with them for yards around. That's wild. <laughs> I love that this made it into the show. Even if we're not there yet in the show, I love that this came into play. This continuity of what what this means, the forces at play here. It just it gave me real like good chills remembering uh, what sort of things lie north of the wall here. I think it's safe to say that the, the majesty of what we're seeing in this chapter is something that they may want to save, like the nature of this for the latter seasons of the show, right? Yeah. Oh, and the fact that Cold Hands is a character that exists completely in the book and this chapter is, it contains a huge reveal of sorts. Uh, regarding him. Yeah. We kind of wondered yeah. about him back in Storm of Swords when he was with Sam and Gilly, although that was sort of, you know, in the background of the background. Now he's front and center and he kind of, I don't know, comes clean a little bit, but you still have just a lot to think about after reading this, after seeing sort of, kind of guessing what his motives are here. But ultimately, y- you have to believe in him if you believe in the crows, if you believe in the three-eyed raven and the power that are driving them to where they are to begin with. There's that moment when they're kind of discussing that, knowing that they've gone so far that if they don't trust in what they're going towards, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're not quite sure what's really ahead, but they just can't turn back. And they're in the middle of this miserable mm-hmm. walk and they kind of <laughs> have no choice but to keep trekking forward and, yeah. and to believe cold hands. Jojen is not looking good, uh, Bran notices early on. But also, like, Bran himself is so bored that he's taken to warging into Hodor again, which is which is something that I thought was very unfortunate. Um, of course, so he, 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 he does still uh, warg into summer as a matter of preference. Um, but from time to time that he gets this little inkling, he's like, ah, oh, better do it. Kind of see what I can see. And, uh, and goes into Hodor and it's just the most heartbreaking sort of scenario. I kind of hoped it was a one-time thing back at Queens Crown, but, uh, I, I think there's, there's probably a future there for, for Bran warging into other humans. Unfortunately, it but... makes me so uncomfortable. Does that not make yeah. everyone else just so uncomfortable knowing that he's yeah. kind of, Working into Hodor mostly just because he can and because he's bored. I hate that so much. I want to yeah. think that this is a casual fact, but I don't think that this is a casual fact. I don't think so either. Right. And there's been a lot of discussion many times on this podcast even about Bran's future and what does it mean, his ability to actually warg into other human beings. Mm-hmm. We've seen it happen from you know, him being able to warg into summer and and other members of the stark family we've seen you know this this book uh a dance with dragons open up uh with somebody who has the ability to warg you know a skin changer Varamir. And, and so i don't think that it's by accident that george would start the book off with something like that um and and maybe it has implications later on with with john and and ghost but to me it it, it probably just doesn't it's foreboding to me, right? Yeah. To, yeah. to to read yeah. that because anybody who would, whether initially unwillingly, but then in the future willingly go into yeah. another human's mind, into another human's body, could only lead to to dark things. And maybe one of the other things that kind of came to mind around Hodor is could Bran potentially unlock 
the the secret to Hodor by being able to penetrate his mind and and we learn more about who he is and and where he comes from and what his story is and what role he'll play in the future but just for where we are right now I think the the ability to take over another human being there's something very sinister about that and we don't really know Bran's future we don't know how he's going to turn out and and really who the one-eyed raven is what it what is this character's ultimate end game you know what are they trying to achieve so mm-hmm, right I, I agree hannah i think it's it is very very disturbing well and we even learn you mentioned the, the prologue we even learn in the prologue that this is something that people who warg frown upon it's kind of against warging yeah. best yeah, guys beyond the wall they don't they're like yeah, yeah well we don't really do it out here either well yeah. and we see we see this and then we see later in the chapter when he is essentially eating human flesh inside of war as well yeah. He's in, yeah in summer and so he's kind of got two strikes against him in this chapter there's like two sides to that and george is so good at, at, at these dualities because inside the mind of not only the characters that we're inside the mind of, but as we see the actions of other people that, that can be subtly telling to the fate that they'll eventually lead into or the, the kind of person that they are without us fully meeting them yet, they may be later revealed. And I think that in this case, we're seeing what could possibly be the seeds of some kind of um, questionable outcome as a child, because as a child that Brandon is... He, he, this, this is, okay, I'll read it from the book. It says, other times when he was tired of being a wolf, Bran slipped into Hodor's skin. Now, this could be because he doesn't understand the, the sort of, I guess, badness, Mm. like to going inside of another human, or maybe he doesn't think that it's that bad of a thing to do because Hodor is sort of simple and there's not much protest he can put up because he doesn't speak and he doesn't ever, from the paragraph, understand exactly what's happening. Um, and on the other side of that is Brand has never had formal education. The closest thing he's gotten are ghost stories from old Nan. And to his knowledge, he's fighting the evil, or he plans to at least, if that's part of his plan. And he doesn't really have that formulated yet. But I think that he knows that he, in his heart, doesn't have bad intentions. So it could just be a lack of education, a lack of him knowing what there is to do, because... Mm. When he was inside of summer, he was just hungry. You know, he he didn't think I'm not supposed to eat. People Maybe I'm though, a but Hodor doesn't like it, and and he and Bran knows that. So I feel like that in and of itself yeah. should be a red flag. No, definitely, well, I, definitely. I honestly think, and I I love that we brought up sort of at towards the end of the chapter when he's eating the meat as the wolf. The ravens are watching. Uh, the birds are are like the door is open. The birds are watching him. There's a very specific mention to the birds watching him eat the meat. Uh, and I think that whoever's watching through the birds clearly is seeing this and realizing what's going on. Like this whole chapter strikes me as a big test. <clears throat> I think uh, it 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 is it is a test. Like early on, um, or after sort of uh, Cold Hands separates from the group, and Mira claims that they're going around in circles. Uh, my my first question that came to mind was, what if she's right? And then what are the implications exactly of if they are going around in circles, but Cold Hands is a good guy and is on their side and is supposedly taking them to the Three-Eyed Raven, what are they waiting for? Is it that they're being followed by these crows that they need to kill before they can get to the place of hiding? Or is it that there's some sort of test they have to pass? So when Bran was eating the, the, the human meat and the ravens were watching, I'm like, you know what? Maybe they're just sort of scoping him out. Like, what is Bran willing to do as a warg? 
and and sort of maybe they're protecting themselves a little bit by trying to get guess at his true nature here even though it's arbitrary like what the rules are because as you said zach he has no formal training on this um i just kind of got the idea that this might be some sort of test that's interesting i still don't think we have enough information about who the three-eyed raven is even from the television show and what the intent is for him for bran generally we feel like He's going on this meaningful quest to find the Three-Eyed Raven, but we don't really know. Bran could just be a means to an end. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. We're just along for the ride right now. But to me, he is such a crucial component to how the story plays itself out, especially if he has the ability, you know, be, be, because of who he is, to look into the past, look into the future. Right. He He's, he's the piece that ties everything together. So... That could be both a good and a bad thing, and it may ultimately be up to him to choose which side he wants to to align himself mm-hmm. with. Or How maybe he wields not. that power. Yeah, exactly. So when when you're when you're going through all the different things with him in this chapter, and you're getting that sense of how the the magic is coming alive again, whether you're talking about you know the the crows or you're talking about the fact that they're traveling with a guy who is <laughs> he's dead you know, doesn't experiencing breathe. sub-zero temperatures <laughs> and you can't see the frost on on his scarf you can't see his breath in the cold air uh you know there there's something up here and and we're trying to get to the bottom of it mm-hmm. uh and there's been so much speculation over the years about who this person is and and George recently finally completely utterly destroyed the theory that it was Benjamin Stark. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. is is this just some old ranger from the Night's Watch who just happened to fall into some weird combination of magic from the Three-Eyed Raven and the Children of the Forest? Like who who is this guy and what what's his backstory? Well the thing is he speaks very well. He speaks at all for a dead man, you know, we've only yeah. seen White's sort of grunt and uh and the the Night's King guy kind of gestures a lot, but he he doesn't um you know, the idea that there's this consciousness there that he's capable of speech is is really That's terrifying. Ter- it's next level though. It's 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 above and beyond. Like we could get five more answers to questions like who is the three eyed raven, what is the power all about, what's causing the whites to resurrect, what's with the white walkers. We could get all those questions and still not be at the point where we can fully comprehend why he's dead but can also speak. You know? It's like it's so these things that we thought were opposites. Uh, are not this guy is like a hybrid of good stuff and bad stuff but he's being used or spoken through or he has aligned himself with bran and bran's quest he's been charged it almost seems yeah his monster like what's yeah it's such a human thing though to have duty it's such a, a human uh emotion to to have that kind of to protect and shepherd and it's just it's so as a character cold hands is is really fascinating and it's amazing that so much of this chapter is kind of Bran and, and, and Mira going back and forth about whether or not they can trust him, but they really don't have a choice. Here's a snippet from when Cold Hands is about to head off and deal with the foes. It says Mira Reed pushed back her hood, the wet snow that I had covered tumbled to the ground with a soft thump. How many men? Who are they? He says. 
foes. I'll deal with them. I'll come with you. You'll stay. The boy must be protected. There is a lake ahead, hard frozen. When you come on it, turn north and follow the shoreline. You'll come to a fishing village. Take refuge there until I can catch up with you. And what it leaves out is, just ride my magical elk. He knows exactly where to go. (laughs) With ravens everywhere. With ravens on his antlers. Pointing me the way. Put on my coat and jacket. The reindeer know the way. But the way he spoke, that was, you know... It didn't. It's not the kind of mutterings you'd expect, and that's not the kind of mutterings we expected from him when our first introduction with him was simply just brother. You know, like yeah. it was, it's different. Can you imagine having a fully functional mind and still being trapped in this dead body? Yeah, a quote unquote body. What? I feel like Stannis could use about a hundred of them. Yeah, It'd be very useful. <laughs> Do you guys think he's like a regular corpse who's just being warged into? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's kind of weird. He he has a really funny retort uh, at the end of the uh, at the end of the chapter. I'll have to find it. But they were basically like, "Hey, um, what's the deal with how come you never eat and we don't really? Where'd you get this <laughs> sow and stuff?" He's like, "What's up with your hands? How come they're never cold?" And it says the ranger studied his hands as if, as as if, if he'd he, never noticed yeah, that before. Like, Ooh, what? <laughs> Once he, this is what he says, okay, to these people. Once the heart has ceased to beat, a man's blood runs down into his extremities where it thickens and congeals. His voice rattled in his throat, as thin and gaunt as he was. His hands and feet swell up and turn as black as pudding. The rest of him becomes as white as milk. That's what he says in response to basically, are you alive? Why are your hands black? Yeah. And he says, oh, once the heart stops. And this terrifies them. It's everything that Bran heard from old Nan's stories come to life. He's like, he's thinking back to, wait a minute. You know, even though no bad things can pass through the wall, as long as the men of the Night's Watch are pure and the wall still stands, he's like, wait a minute, we aren't south of the wall, we're north of the wall, and also, Cold Hands didn't cross, we crossed the wall to get to him. So he's like, this guy could be this undead, evil entity leading us into any number of traps right now. You just gotta call it. You get, you gotta, you gotta trust him or not. But you got to make a decision, and they're already, as Jojen says, too far to turn back. Jojen knows mm-hmm. that his declining health is, you know, they they won't survive a return trip. Speaking of old Nan, kind of going through the the rewatch of the show is reminding me there's when there's a scene when she's telling him about what's beyond north of the wall, and he talks about how these are her favorite stories and how he loves hearing about <laughs> all of these monsters. Now he's literally living in it, and I think that's. That's interesting. When the long night comes. She's played an interesting role in in both these chapters. And so I think I don't have anything smart to say about that other than (laughs) (laughs) other than it's true. She she has. Other than she's there. Old Man Fan Club. Yeah. I was was thinking about that because she is all Bran has as far as a a map of what to expect. Right. And and some tall tales that she told. Well, some tales that she told, all of which were tall. Some of them, you know, obviously have some reality behind them and others she may have just been trying to scare. You know, I haven't made up my mind really if if Nan is it's a a good character or just this no, I'm team Nan, woman definitely. who just absolutely wanted to scare the shit out of these kids. But when you're growing up in Winterfell, like you're that close to the wall. You're closer to the wall than all the other Seven Kingdoms. You might as well like have a little bit of preparedness, even if it's in the under the the guise of bedtime stories, the fact that there was this woman there to shape and to essentially equip the Stark children with essential knowledge about what lies beyond, which she couldn't possibly have known that they would in fact be facing. 
uh, is is great. It's such a great literary device. Like yeah. for for George to get this across, for our character to know something that essentially is unknown for thousands of years. The fact that Bran is able to quickly recall these sorts of things that help influence his decisions is really superb. And Old Nan is that gift that keeps on giving uh, every time there's any of the younger Stark children chapter uh, where they can't quite grasp something. It goes back to a story of Old Nan. Well, it's a shame she never taught Bran about warging. I know, right? (laughs) Or Mira about eating human's flesh. See, they all failed the test, all right, if it was a test, because they all enjoyed that delicious pig that Cold Hands found. Oh, yeah, that's definitely not a pig. Like, come on. (laughs) Oh. I didn't even fathom that. Right? Is it Guys, just me? Where, there's, are you seriously the... saying? Oh yeah, you didn't find a sow. There yeah, they, they haven't seen an animal a or a human or anything for <laughs> Look, millions a of pig. years. <laughs> there wasn't just all of a sudden a pig. Let's get it. No, you guys suck. Not. You're ruining the book for me. This is terrible. <laughs> closest animal to yeah. the human anatomy is a pig. So you know it worked. Oh, it was a good excuse. Cold hands. He must have been a butcher in his past life. You know what I can't <sighs> stop thinking about this whole chapter. What the ravens on the antlers of the magical moose? <laughs> you, know, you know that moment in Pirates of the Caribbean when Barbosa is like tells Elizabeth that she needs to start believing ghost stories because she's yeah. in, one. <laughs> oh. in one. That's all I can hear over and over and over again in my you head. Have to be a pirate to have the pirate code. Yeah. I, I used to be able to do a really good Barbosa. I can't anymore. What happened? I don't know. <laughs> there are more guidelines than rules. <laughs> Miss Turner. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Not to get us off track. But... Well done, well done. Where are we, Jack Sparrow, you scurvy scum? <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean was my first love, but let's talk about that later. I have the feeling that that came out four years after Harry Potter, so I'm calling you on your shit. No, okay, well, mm, this is a whole different story. Yeah, we'll save, we'll save for that for a squad of ice and okay. fire. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I think that this chapter did really well was was as much about Bran being Summer as as Bran being Bran. Right. Yeah. And nothing demonstrated that more than the incident between Summer and Faramir. <laughs> Let's just skip right to it. And his complete, <laughs> no, his complete it's hard not to. dominance over uh, these, these three wolves that uh, he encounters. And... Uh, you mentioned Warg, uh, which uh, Varamir is able to clearly uh, figure out that he's dealing with somebody who's very much like himself. And it reminded me back to that chapter uh, that we read, actually the prologue of this book, when he was talking about when he first encountered John and Ghost and how he always wanted he to would have loved. Yeah, he would have loved to been able to just kill John in that moment and take over Ghost because the just the sheer magnitude and presence of an animal like ghost and i wonder if he senses any of that you know when he's when he's dealing with um with bran and summer you know does does he seemingly feel like he's already defeated because i mean i can't imagine that your normal everyday garden wolf is is able to uh It looks, stares down a dire wolf and thinks, yeah, I got this, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, the I can impression do it. <laughs> I got was that he was prepared to kick whatever wolf's ass that came up out of nowhere until he realized it was a dire wolf. And, and then they locked eyes. And then the book in italics, it doesn't have like a source. It doesn't come from either wolf. It just says war yeah. with an exclamation point. Mm-hmm. That was so exciting. There's that I think, awareness. So it was going to be a showdown. Like both of them. 
I don't know. And it was a great fight scene. It was a great. I was going to say hand to hand combat. It's paw and paw, paw to paw combat. Um, But it's so well written. Like George does this amazing, the amazing language of being able to show exactly what he sort of choreographed the whole thing. But I do question how much of Vermeer is left in this in this wolf if he's capable of anything other than the awareness that we see between Bran and him. Uh, Bran and he, like he clearly is a little bit more uh, fearless. Less fearful, as you pointed out, Micah. But I'm wondering, because I think going back to the prologue of the fifth book, where these men have are said to essentially lose themselves over time, or gradually or or however over time in the minds of these other creatures. So I'm wondering if this wolf, uh, who is also a warg, has the the capability of of thinking like, oh, I want to leap into you, like I want to take your your body like oh a bigger wolf great i'm gonna become you now like i wonder if that's still there i think it's his second life that he's in right now though the sort of like the the last movement mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. if i'm right yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think that he's slowly fading Varamir is becoming less and less especially because he's he's in the the older of the wolves right he's in one eye yeah and it doesn't seem like one eye has too many days left in him and and who knows what's going to happen once one eye finally passes on and does he go and try and and take over one of the younger but stronger mm. wolves is that even possible you know what what would a victory for varamir in that situation over summer have looked like does that kind of reinvigorate him is he able to your point to kind of shift and overtake i don't know like i i just feel like he's he's just kind of in perpetuity now like he's yeah. kind of out there and and he's probably just going to try and cling to anything that he possibly can that that's still living mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see because he's in summer's pack now yeah it's interesting <laughs> to have him him there but that was brand though right that, yeah that, that was... was brand interjecting and in kind of his own experience and saying no wait summer hold on a second we still have our family you know part of our pack is still out there mm-hmm Gotta give I it, loved that. Give it up to Bran for uh, you know doing what he's done. I feel like George has given us a little bit of achievement in the early early stages. I think that he's got some uh, some stuff. You know, Bran's gonna have a have a, a decent future out of him. Mm-hmm. He's a strong he's a, he's a strong person. And yeah, and my favorite part this is but finally the old one eyed wolf lay down and showed his belly. And this is what Bran does. The dire wolf snapped at him twice more. Sniffed at his butt and lifted a leg over him. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's interesting that, not to jump ahead to Arya, but I think it's interesting that Bran's reaction that he still has his pack, he still has his family versus what we see Arya in the next chapter talking about how she feels like she doesn't have a family and that she's lost her pack. It's it's an interesting comparison between the two of them as they kind of embark on this journey of becoming down potentially problematic roads it was an equally enigmatic ending uh for both chapters i would say the one had a bit more grandeur than the other Mm. like cold hands is basically in the middle of an exposition (laughs) they ask him who the three-eyed raven is and this is what cold hands says after all everything else he's already said because he's totally killing it this chapter uh and it definitely would have been a very big moment if any of this was in the television series he says a friend dreamer wizard call him what you will the last green seer the long halls, wooden door. Just, just picture all this, everyone. All right, it's just taking the moment. The long halls, wooden door banged open. 
Outside, the night wind howled, bleak and black. The trees were full of ravens, screaming. (laughs) Cold hands did not move. A monster, Bran said. The ranger looked at Bran as if the rest of them did not exist. Your monster, Brandon Stark. (laughs) Yours, the raven echoed from his shoulder. Outside the door, the ravens in the trees took up the cry until the night would echo to the murderer's song. Yours, yours, yours. One one thing's for sure. This three-eyed crow guy who's controlling the ravens, I would not want to take his daughter to prom. The These ravens would just follow us all night long and and, yeah. and shout crazy shit at me if they didn't like me. <laughs> stop. I or just stop, shit on stop. you. Couldn't. Karn. <laughs> chase. I like how chase. he looks at Bran and the ravens do too. They're like, all right, we got to look at this guy. They look at Bran. Or is it the rest of them did not exist? The door bangs open. Yeah. <laughs> Just wind. Wind howling. Along the lines of what you were saying, Zach, though, that these chapters both kind of end in very much similar ways in that you have these people that are looking back at Bran in the case of Cold Hands. Maybe it's the three-eyed raven through Cold Hands and, and through the ravens. And then you have the kindly man at the end of the Arya chapter, right? They they can just see right through who they're pretending to be or, or just see through that surface level and kind of get inside their mind. And I just think that that, despite the fact that you know, normally when we go through and we do these readings, like we're reading them two chapters consecutively. But the fact that these two chapters are in completely different books and yet there's so many parallels given that these two characters are from the, the same family – I just thought it was was kind of a really neat tie together. Yeah, I think that it's it's a really truly beautiful thing that these two siblings are separated so far in the text, and uh, they're both sort of beginning. We put a, a conversation that's part of our uh, our talks this week on our Patreon feed with our bannerman. Brand crosses the wall to enter the beginning of his new future as Arya passes beneath the Titan into her new future in Bravos. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Right? It's like interesting that. to see how it all comes together. I like that a lot. One of our uh, banner women chimed in also about the uh, sort of parallels between these two chapters. And she says she loves this discussion question from Miranda. And she's going to limit herself to just three answers. So, you know, she's not going to go too over the top. Uh, she says both Starks recall Nan stories, leading us to ask to what extent are these just stories? So a lot of what, uh, Eric, you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, they think about, in Bran and Summer's case, forget then remember, and mourn the loss of their pack. Um, and at the end of both chapters, both become allies of sorts with deathly companions. Mm. Mm-hmm. Starks of a feather. <laughs> <laughs> keep keep going what happens to Starks of a feather. Yeah. <laughs> Howl I'm not, together. I'm not sure. That's good, Micah. We'll, we'll go with That's that. That's good. I like it. Uh, Sonia Fishpower added, she said, I also noticed while reading that they both recall Nan stories. I love old Nan. I wonder what happened to her, although I don't want to really know for sure because most likely the Ironborns or Boltons happened. Okay, sorry for getting sidetracked. Looking very forward to the episode. Well, here it is. You're in it. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> You're in one. <laughs> one of the things that really bothered me about the the television show, and, and I think I may have mentioned this when we got the introduction to Bravos from... Davos and, and Stannis <laughs> heading over to meet with the Iron Bank was that our in, our introduction to Bravos came from those two characters yeah. and yeah. 
for pretty much the entire series, you know, where whether we're talking about Sirio Pharrell, or we're talking about Jack and Hagar, like Bravos was Arya's place to 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 have you you know, experience it with her. And and as you see, the first actual glimpse we get of Bravos is by Arya mm-hmm. uh in the books. It's not you know, it's it's sort of mentioned in passing that you know, Stannis and Davos are, are going to find a way to do business with the Iron Bank, but you know, there's no travel there and, and I get it and it, where it's it's nice to kind of introduce them to the show to show their relevance later on, but it it was something that always just didn't sit well with me as a fan because you know, I I wanted the sort of the first experience with Bravos to be from, from you know us seeing it with Arya, like this chapter, like this chapter, which yeah. is just yeah. an amazing opening. Uh, you know, in terms of the the description of Bravos and the the city and and just everything that goes along with it. If, if you haven't read this chapter, I'd highly recommend doing it because while the show did it did a very 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 good job of of trying to depict some of this. The, just the intricate detail that is described here, you know, it, it's kind of cool to create in your own mind. And you can really feel how far away she is from anything familiar. And to kind of be able to trace that with Arya, like you mentioned with, with Sierra Farrell and having that connection there for her. Yeah, it's it's definitely more fun seeing it through her eyes. She's never been to a city without walls before. Something's completely different here going on. But And Mike, I... I kind of agree with what you're saying and i understand uh to like bravo bravos being Arya's place that that she's going to i like that it was in the show only because i would be i would i'm one of those viewers who's like would be really confused how stannis could get up to the wall otherwise when we last saw him like in squalor without an army so i thought it was important that they showed in the show but you're right like man in this book like the paragraphs and paragraphs devoted to pale faces peeking out of the murder holes of like the back of the legs and like everything from the loud sound that is emitted to old man's stories of the Titan itself wading out and destroying ships to basically the, the captain's son, uh, his enthusiasm for the city and all the things that he tells Arya as they're kind of coming into the bay. It's really unparalleled storytelling. Um, it's done again. There's a huge info dump done in a way that doesn't make it feel cumbersome or tiring. And yet you're, you're really just inspired to imagine visually what exactly this place looks like. Right. How intense is the Titan of Bravos? Yeah. So intense. There's man. that moment when, when the Titan roars to announce them coming and Arya flinches and she's like, I'm not afraid of that. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> think for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're kind of wrapped up in this imagery and we're, we're learning about this, this new place that we hadn't been to yet in the books. And even I almost while reading it flinched, you know, thinking of this massive thing yelling oh, to my oh, announcement. Yeah. It's so, kind of it's cool. I smelled the salt water. And meanwhile, uh, during all of the the detailing of what is truly, truly, truly a port city, the trade that goes on here, and uh, the different sorts of people, and the way that they sort of serve all those people's religious sex, and uh, how that's addressed in this chapter was was also fascinating. And I love this part of a feast for crows, the time that we spend in Bravo. So going back from a dance with dragons into a feast for crows uh, for the second part of this episode is really fun because uh, 
like I said, it's some of my more favorite pieces, and I can't wait to like get further. Mm-hmm. I think we may have to do it after season six, which is kind of a letdown. I mean, I know it's gonna be really exciting having uh, all those weeks of a new, you know, the new show, but. Um, the stuff that happens in Bravos is really fun, and this is just the beginning of it. And Arya is sailing in, and uh, I feel like we're we're first getting the setup, like the f- the foreboding that's to come in her future, uh, just by the the way the men in the boats treat her. Like we left her getting the the cabin. You'll have a cabin because of the <laughs> coin that you're holding and the thing that you say. And now we enter Bravos, and this is her first chapter in the Feast for Crows. And we enter Bravos, and they're giving her gifts, and they're like saying, like, "This is my name. You make sure to remember Please my remember name." Please remember my like, name. Yeah. Please remember. Yeah. My- <laughs> Names and, are important. We don't know anything. No, you know, we know nothing. All we know is that she's going to a new place, and she has this coin, and Jacqueline was this, and Jacqueline was that. And Arya doesn't know anything either. Yeah, she's just kind of like, okay, she, yeah. She knows less than us <laughs> yeah. because we've seen the, you know, we've read and we've seen the show and we can kind of, at this far into the series, we can pull our own clues out. We can say like, oh, she's being treated this way. Chances are something's going to happen. But to her, she's terrified in this chapter. She has that quote where uh, she's thinking back to the words that her father spoke to her a long time ago. Her, she remembered her father saying that when the cold wind blows, the lone wolf dies and the pack survives. He had it all backwards. Arya the Lone Wolf <laughs> still lived, but the wolves of the pack had been taken. Yeah, that's so sad. That's, yeah, brutal. But yeah, she is. She is. I think truly alone for what well, maybe the first time. Like, I mean, without even the capability of uh, being with a friend. I mean, Denyo is this. She's got to say goodbye to him. She's leaving off the boat. The men want her off. Uh, it's nice of that one guy to teach her knots, so I think that'll be useful. But uh, she she is alone, and she's actually at the beginning of the chapter mentioning. Uh, sort of the places she's been and how Yorin, she never ends up where she sort of means to, but this is one of those times when, you know, she found her way and actually got to where she was going. And, you know, it's, it's a, a sign of her yeah. um, heart. I think that she sort of doesn't want to leave because she's found something that is a little steady uh, on the ship with some of these relationships. She's just built out of nothing, but, you know, ultimately she's moving forward towards her destiny um, it's just so so interesting that she's here, but we know there's a lot here in store for her, so we're not worried. But it does take a lot of uh, courage to go forth and do what she does in this chapter, even if it is just walk up some steps. You know, it's it's kind of a big deal. She has this purpose. George wasted no time either because this is our first. This is the first chapter. It's our first moment. These are our first moments in Bravos, and she's immediately just like in the television series sort of paddled, canoed, Mm -hmm. while seeing the city and taking in the size and learning of the different temples, she's immediately taken to where they think that she's supposed to be going, which is the House of Black and White. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is her lead. This this coin is all she had left besides the names, the fewer names than before that she now recites before she goes to bed. Like, all she has is the coin and this desire for revenge. She knows not what what it will mean for her but it's all she's got left. And she thinks that Bran is dead and Rickon's dead, as as do nearly everybody else in Westeros. It's a great tactic. So talking about the differences between Arya and, and, and Bran, too, like Bran clearly just knows he's alive. That's that's why he's able to say there's still this other pack. He has less information as to the whereabouts and, and liveliness of his family than than Arya does, unfortunately. They're they're both very much isolated though in their own chapters, despite mm. the fact that they're going on these individual quests. They they are young, mm-hmm. they're alone. 
and and for Arya though, she is completely on her own. She has nobody with her. I mean, she has the the people that she was traveling with, but if we look back, and you mentioned Yorin, right? She's she's always sort of had somebody who is watching over her, and and when she's been in those situations, they've never turned out the way that she anticipated, right? And mm-hmm. now she's actually has nobody who's kind of watching over her shoulder. She got needle this coin and herself, and she's able to make her way to you know the house of black and white and we're now in a place really where the first character in this series has traveled east that that we have followed from right? the west we, we have yeah. from the west yeah danny's always been there but now we have you know if if we're kind of looking at this chronologically and, and aria being in a feast for crows we already read Tyrion going there in, in a dance with dragons but you know this is the first glimpse of this world from somebody who is not Daenerys and you know one of one of the major characters in the series and in, in Arya who's now in Bravo is a brand new location for us to kind of explore and it it just doesn't it doesn't disappoint in terms of the the initial description of the city and then her experience right away as Zach said like you, there no time is wasted in in kind of throwing you into now what her story is going to be in Bravos, right into it. She walks inside. There's no, you know, there's no time to waste. She goes right inside and uh, helps, helps someone <laughs> die. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me get no, that for you. Waste no time. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's so interesting um, to think like because we're we're also we're talking about Brand, but Brand's got his whole pack, right? He's got his whole posse. He's got Hodor. He's got Cold Hands, the Elk, Jojen, Mira. And all of these ravens escorting him to where he needs to go. <laughs> Arya's got nobody. I'm hung up on the ravens. I'm not going to stop mentioning them. You know, but Arya is completely alone. But I wonder, because this fits completely with the the line of, of thinking that these men inside the House of Black and White uh, purport to to believe in, which is that you, you have to kind of uh, really lower yourself into being completely alone and and not and shedding not only your friends and associates but your own identity and it's just so weird because it's actually the perfect fit for Arya who for the first time is alone that they that these men are 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 going to teach her and going to rely on her basically having even less than her own name it's just like it's already a trend that she's going in losing all the things that she's lost it's almost prophetic it's almost fate yeah. It was kind of a poignant moment when they ask, he asked her, you know, tell me your name, child. And she lists off all the different names that she's ever been known by. <laughs> and they're like, no, tell me your real name. Tell me your real name. And it's, like I said, a poignant moment to go through everything that she, where she's been and who she, who she's been before finally, I feel like being able to take control of her own destiny a little bit by finally being in a place where she was actually trying to get to uh, before she kind of sheds herself, we get to be reminded of where she's been. And I, I really liked that moment. Yeah, totally agree. I thought it was, it's very revealing of, of the types of people that she's dealing with as well. I don't know if they're somehow capable of magic and the ability to read minds, or they're just you know, very good judges of character and can tell when people are lying. Yeah. What, what uh, is this yeah. power? The power to cut through bullshit. I want that. I've played the game of faces a few times. <laughs> well, especially as someone who's Arya, who's, 
lied about who she is for so long. I'm sure she's yeah. pretty good at it. Yeah, it was almost strange to hear her say, I am Arya of House Stark. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of forget, you know, and, uh, you, you know, like, Squab, Weasel, Airy, Salty. It, it was kind of it was cathartic to finally get there and to hear her say it out loud and to, to be there with her and to not be afraid for her life, sort of. Sort of. Sort of. It's like the first yeah. time she's introduced herself that way. In a while. And despite how far away she is, the initial walk up those stairs coming to the twin doors at the House of Black and White, just the description was a reminder of Winterfell. Absolutely. Uh, when it said, the left-hand door was made of werewood pale as bone, mm-hmm. the right of gleaming ebony. In their center was a carved moon face, ebony on the werewood side, werewood on the ebony. The look of it reminded her somehow of the heart tree in the god's wood at Winterfell. The doors are watching me, she thought. <laughs> this is uh, it's such a tie-in to her identity here, her true identity. The, the Basically, what is the right answer to the guy when he asks her, her who she is. And something that I love that we see repeated all the time is that the Starks are still Starks, regardless of anything, regardless of where they are in the world, what journey they're on. They're still part of the Stark family, and they've got such a strong, regardless of who they have to be, they have such a strong familial bond, identity about themselves. And, and I like that we get these constant reminders, like like you pointed out, Micah. Zach, earlier, earlier, Zach, you mentioned the the Bat Mastercard from Bat, from Batman and Robin. <laughs> now I'm just thinking about the Stark like Mastercard. Yeah, she yeah. Hands. But she's trying <laughs> well, to get in. I, I just, I love. It is a symbol of how young she is. She's pushing on these doors. Um, Let me in, you stupid. She says. <laughs> I crossed the narrow sea. She made a fist and pounded. Jackin told me to come. I have the iron coin. <laughs> this is the best part. In, she pulled stupid. it from her pouch and held it up. See, Valor Mogulis. The doors made no reply except, except to, open. to open. That's a big exception <laughs> That's such a there, cool George. Aria moment. Yeah. yeah. Well, she Aria the would right password. She, she yeah. would roll up to a random place that she's never been. She has no idea what's inside. She's billions of miles away and just start. Yelling out Pounding the door, and, and causing issue. Like, what did these doors ever do to you, girl? I mean, she has this feeling that she's being watched, which I think is what really unnerves her. Um, not that she's frightened, but that she kind of resents it. She's like, you know, why am I being kept out? This is not nearly as bad as it was in the show where they the door opens, but then he locks her out for a real long time. Um, you know, the, she eventually gets it within a matter of, of moments. But, uh, you know, this idea that she's being tested but she it's not on even footing like she doesn't she, she's been essentially she's been invited to come here and I, I think that's probably a fair assessment of of what jack and meant to do or meant to have done by giving her the coin to begin with is that you know this is this is a path that he knew that she would choose for herself um wherever he may be now the the description upon her entry i know Earlier on in the episode, we talked about the gods that are mentioned. Yes, you have to pick one. You have to uh, make Paul K. Well, a me, very me, happy listener. <laughs> let me read this briefly. Sure. Uh, j- just just so I make sure that I am able to select properly from, from this list. Slowly, her eyes adjusted. The temple seemed much larger within than it had without. Mm. The steps of Westeros were seven-sided, with seven altars for the seven gods. But here there were more more gods than seven. Statues of them stood along the walls, massive and threatening. 
Around their feet red candles flickered as dim as distant stars. The nearest was a marble woman twelve feet tall. Real tears were trickling from her eyes to fill the bowl she cradled in her arms. Beyond her was a man with a lion's head seated on a throne carved of ebony. On the other side of the doors a huge horse of bronze and iron reared up on two great legs. Farther on she can make out a great stone face, a pale infant with a sword, a shaggy black goat the size of an orx, a hooded man leaning on a staff. The rest were only looming shapes to her, half seen through the gloom. Between the gods were hidden alcoves thick with shadows, with here and there a candle burning. Well, damn, I got to go with the shaggy black goat. Yeah, I'm going with the goat as well. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, the baby with the sword. Gee, what a surprise there. Micah goes with the goat. I I just, you know, when you read a paragraph like this, you wonder what it all means because clearly there are going to be things that we can come back to here that are going to resonate more later on in the series once we we gain some more information, I think. I just think it's, it's neat how... Despite the fact that there are all of these gods that are worshipped, not just within Westeros, but obviously here in Essos as well, and that they all kind of have a home here within the House of Black and White, but yet we know that, you know, it's what they're trying to at least say in my mind is that the only god there is is the many-faced god, right? the the ultimate god wears all of these different faces and, and one religion isn't right versus another and maybe i'm just thinking a little bit too much here but no you're that's that's exactly what i got from it yeah mhm i agree i'm going with the pale infant with the sword by the way <laughs> <laughs> and the show got it right seems very dim yeah i, I think the show did a great job I, I think when she first walks in and she and you can kind of see all the different statues that are laid around uh, some that are f- we're familiar with, some we're not familiar with, but there's just so many random ones here. You wonder, like who who prays to these gods? You know, what parts of the world uh, that we have yet to explore, yeah. or even that we have explored, but maybe don't have as much information about yet. What you know, what do they represent? I, mean, I liked your point. When are we going to find out? You know, when are we going to, after finishing book seven, look back and go, oh, look what yeah. we could have. If if we had been smarter, look what we could have figured out. That's, what, that's what's with cool. what's the with shaggy the, black goat of a shot. What's with the baby <laughs> and the sword? I really. Yeah. <laughs> He's from very far east, Eric. We've seen the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The winged man, it's young John Snow. Ooh, that's cool. how he comes back. <laughs> He's had people worshiping him. <laughs> He's reincarnated <laughs> with all of his memories and sword skills from the get go. It's fun though, and if, if we never reach the fate of um, you know finding out more about these these beings and how they affect the world that we're living in. It's, it's fantastic world building for the story. And that's one of the things I love from these types of series is that, um, they really like, it's, it's very much all encompassing. I'm, I'm the type of guy who reads the Silmarillion every year and, uh, loves it. Mm. And so getting little, even a paragraph or so out of this really makes me just grow much more fond of the series, but also, um, much more fond of this house of black and white. I feel like it's much more, I feel like it's very important. I feel like it's like a really special place in the world because it is so inclusive of the world. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I think to add to that point, when Arya is walking through and she's smelling all these scents that are comforting to her, it seems to be, it kind of reminded me of Amartentia and Harry Potter, kind of how you smell what you need to smell. And yeah. I, I, I think that that, that kind of, leads to your point as well reminded me of disneyland (laughs) (laughs) 
That was that was Walt Disney's thing was pumping smells through the air, right? Does it adjust to what your innermost heart desires? It was popcorn was what it was to get people to buy <laughs> Disney popcorn. If it's corn dogs, so, yeah, yeah, same thing. <laughs> but um, but but no, I mean she she meets this girl who grabs her and she says, "Don't grab me! I killed the boy who grabbed me last." But um, but the man behind her or the voice behind her, when she says, "What place is this?" says, "A place of peace." And this is something that is so it, it's juxtaposed with what we just saw, which is this man who had a wound or appeared to well, he was bleeding and, and he laid down and died. Um, you know, a place of peace. Yes, death is is peace in a sort of way. Um, and the way that this man is uh, talking about the many faced God, about how all paths lead to him in the end and. Oh, you know, they'll they'll lead that way for you too, eventually. Um, it's just kind of how serenely and how calmly he's talking about something that we think would be what we know to be horrifying in the case of Game of Thrones deaths. Song of Ice and Fire deaths are usually unpleasant. Um, but he's talking with them in such a about them in, in such a peaceful way that he's clearly uh he's he's clearly having not having her on, but he may believe that, I guess, essentially, like what he is going to, it's all a test, um, which clearly we, we, we see when he takes his hood off, like, and by his reaction, by what Arya does, like, he's testing her further, at first putting her at ease, but sort of the way he strokes the the uh, elephant in the room, which is that this is a place where people go to commit suicide, um, is pretty interesting. The priest lowered his cow. Beneath he had no face, only a yellowed skull with a few scraps of skin still clinging to the cheeks, and a white worm wiggling from one empty eye socket. Kiss me, child. <laughs> <laughs> or is it more like... <laughs> no, that was so kiss perfect. Kiss me, child. No. <laughs> the way you said it first was too kiss perfect. Kiss me, child. <laughs> He croaked in a voice as dry and husky as it says a death rattle, but I'm pretty sure George should have written and as dry and husky as Micah's voice. Yeah. <laughs> me, child, tell your father I'm here. <laughs> Does he think to scare me? Arya kissed him where his nose should be and plucked the grave worm from his eye to eat it, but it melted like a shadow in her hand. The yellow skull was melting too, and the kindliest old man that she had ever seen was smiling down at her. No one has ever tried. To- oh, sorry. There you go. Read it, Micah. <laughs> no one has ever tried to eat my worm before. <laughs> <laughs> no one has ever tried to eat my worm before. He said, "Are you hungry, child?" <laughs> yes, she thought, but not for food. Boom. Ooh. We should just make audiobooks, guys. What's up? I think so too. Half of them will just be us laughing. I don't <laughs> That's know. okay too. It's just too much editing to take the laughing out. Leave the laughter. It's good for the heart, good for the soul. What in the world is happening to right? the Stark children? I know. Like, what is happening in this book? Yeah. Bran loves like warging into summer, eating flesh, and now Arya is hungry, but for basically one. the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Not for food. That is so intense. I feel like this was just an out-of-body experience, this part of the book. Once it hit, uh, I had to go back and read it like six or seven times. And please write in, please, if you did the same thing. Because I felt like maybe I was like, where where did this come from? He takes his hood and there's a, a skull and skin and a worm. And she, and she tries eats, to eat it. eats it. Yeah. She doesn't even flinch. She just grabs yeah. it. 
Yeah. That's really Good grabbing the bull. It's probably like by the horn. By the worm. It's a skull going, kiss me, child. Like Micah said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, she doesn't have time for this bullshit. Like, she's thrown it all on the line for this place. And I think that she knows that the sort of place that has the capability to do something like that, like a talking skull, a man who she doesn't realize changes faces, but she's seen that sort of thing before. This guy who has no face now, like logic follows. She should, she should just try and fuck shit up. She should screw with him. (laughs) She does. Like, that's what I love about it. She's just like, I'm going to take this worm and I'm going to try and eat it. And he's so freaked out. It's not, it's not her. He's so freaked out that the illusion drops immediately. He's like, Oh, this worm isn't even real. I don't even want to see you eat this worm. But it was clearly like, she didn't just pass the test, she aced it. There it's like That's extra credit for originality. On her <laughs> extra part. credit for each eating the worm. For trying to yeah. eat the worm. Like she's just she is the biggest go getter in the world right now. And I but I think and I think it comes out of out of a place of desperation and out of a thirst. This hunger, I think it's a hunger for for knowledge, for destiny, for you know, taking control of her life, or she's finally gone crazy. One of the, or maybe the she's like Bran <laughs> and she enjoys eating quote sow quote. So yeah, these were good chapters. <laughs> Fantastic, certainly own worthy chapters. Of course, every chapter is an own worthy chapter. <laughs> All right, Brandon Stark own goes to uh, the Raven Escort for sure. I mean, I, I just think I, I would feel pretty safe uh, beyond the wall if anywhere from half a dozen to scores, entire scores of birds were were following me. Then again, now that we've seen what they can do, <laughs> plucking the eyes out of uh, people that they hate, I would hate to be on their bad side. But so long as they're flying with me and not at me, I think I'd be pretty uh, pretty in, in good, I, know, I was going to say hands, but uh, claws, talons. Wings. Cold, cold hands. hands. In good, in, yeah. I'd be in hey. cold hands. There we go. All right, all right. So my own to the- You'd uh, be the, in cold hands. The Raven cold Brigade um, gets my own. For me, uh, I have to give it to the summer magical elk stare down. Yes. <laughs> yes. Elk's like, I dare Eat you me, don't eat me. Yeah. <laughs> the Come elk try just, eat me. Just turns towards summer and just lowers his horns. Come at me. Be like, hey, remember what happened to your mother when uh, she encountered that stag? Yeah, you want to try it? And that stag didn't have ravens perched on his horns. That's right. <laughs> I just see little ravens like scratching it, like staying on the- Big ones. Not taking flight, just staying and like scraping and scratching. Like daggers. That, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah that's, that's funny. Mm. I have to give mine to uh, Hodor. Mm. You know, it's important when you're in the middle of uh, well, just life in general to have to have a way to to let things go a little bit, to decompress, to let off some steam. And uh, he's still got that iron sword, and he just in his free time when he's not being uh, boarded by Brandon Stark yeah. inside of his mind, uh, just hacks at trees and stuff. Just get, just goes to town with the sword, and I think that's good that he's got a, a hobby. I feel like that's wall, something so. you would do. <laughs> I'm gonna give my own to Jojen for when Mira is trying to get him to read this weird, gross acorn paste, and she <laughs> says, "Jojen, you have to eat." He says, "Later, I just want to rest." Jojen smiled. Owain smiled. This is not the day I die, sister. I promise you. <laughs> I thought that was a cool line. All right, yeah, Owen and me. <laughs> I'm going to give it to the galleys, which are as good as walls. 
<laughs> this is an IOU. It's as good as cash. Um, Bravos, Bravos <laughs> does not need walls. I'm going to hold on to this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, uh, the Bravos does not need walls because they've got such an impressive navy. Uh, yeah, enough said there. All right. That's well, good. I don't think that I could have started off the chapter discussion talking the way I did about Bravos without giving the own to the Titan of Bravos. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Just to, just to give an idea, um, one of the, the passages <laughs> says, Arya could see the arrow slits in the great bronze breastplate and the stains and speckles on the Titan's arms and shoulders where the seabirds nested. Her neck craned upward. Baylor the Blessed would not reach his knee. He could step right over the walls of Winterfell. <laughs> oh, really? That's Whoa. all I'll say. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. Is your um, own what Micah just said? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, like that could be really. I want to. Yeah. I'm gonna give my own to. Uh, I was gonna give my own to 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 Bravos. Um, I thought it was just a really epic entrance into the city. I kind of felt the music and I felt the uh, the thrum of the metropolis and you know how it really is just you know expanding and we get to expand even more in these two books. That's so cool. But uh, when they were approaching and the two galleys come out and like they like swoop in to like meet the ship and to make sure everything's okay, it was just I don't know. It felt cool to me. Yeah. I'm going to give my own to Arya when she first gets off the ship and she says, Salty is a stupid child who told herself. I am a wolf and will not be afraid. She patted Needle's hilt for good luck and plunged into the shadows, taking the steps two at a time so no one could ever say she'd been afraid. <laughs> I, will, I just love that she skips two steps so that no one could look at her and think that she was nervous or timid or scared. And I liked it. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> and of course, we uh, heard from a number of listeners uh, their owns for these chapters. And as usual, they did not disappoint in any way, shape or form. They did not. This is an own from Twitter. going to jump right into it because I feel like the content of these chapters slash the content of your scrawlings say everything that need to be said. Yes. From Jerry on Twitter. Own for Arya's chapter goes to the kindly man who sees through Arya's identity BS. She, however, owns him back by eating the worm. She does. And for Bran's chapter, it goes to Summer, or ultimately to Bran, for owning one eye, a.k.a. Varamir. Next on tour, we have Jodha, 8, who says, Bran chapter goes to Summer for showing Varamir who's the boss. Bran king of the north by north of the wall. <laughs> <laughs> And then Arya to George R. R. Martin for confusing us on Danny Orden's story. They have no trees, she realized. Where's the lemon trees at? Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Good point. I didn't notice that. You need lemon trees. You gotta have a lemon tree. Lemon tree and a red door. And a red door. Tree. And a red door. Sonia Fishbauer tweets in <laughs> like Jack Bauer, but fishier. Owns Arya owned to the city of Bravos for their Titan, the canals, and the Warren, a temple for forgotten gods. Radical. That is radical. And Bran owned to Cold Hands and his cold stare with Raven for a sidekick. Bonus owned to Old Nan for her creepy bedtime stories. <laughs> Quick own from Brannis the Manus. That's a new spin. Uh, owned to Benjamin Stark for still being alive. Dot, 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 dot. Okay, Brannis. Bran would know. Don't believe he George. It's all right. You never know. I mean, 
he could he, he could still be. I mean, there's a chance, right? And uh, Heathen King on Twitter owned to the fucking sweet Titan of Bravo statue. He could step over walls of Winterfell. Should we draw a parallel to Baelish? Bran one owned to Cold Hands for probably feeding Bran and crew with Night's Watch deserters from Crashers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're a monster, Brandon Stark. Mike, are you Heathen King on Twitter? Is that like your yeah. alter identity? It is, yeah. You caught me. Uh, two Parts Rye tweeted in to say that their own for Arya goes to Arya for trying to eat the corpse worm as if it came from the bottom of a cheap bottle of mezcal. <laughs> Wait, what? Micah's had a little mezcal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wish. We heard from Julie Harris Green at Inky Pages. I love that handle on Twitter who says, Arya, the kindly man owns everyone. <laughs> and Bran. Inconceivable. Yes. Inconceivable. Bran, uh, Summer owns everything. <laughs> Quote, if I pee on it, it's mine. Hashtag wolf logic. <laughs> Hashtag strike. Yeah. Hashtag I think it's, it's most logic. Most. Have you done that before, uh, Micah? Micah. Yeah. <laughs> Peeing on things to claim them as your he own. Goes, he goes, yeah. You haven't? What? Uh, I mean, Zach, I guess. Whenever you, think of, uh, whenever you hear the kindly man, do you think of the uh, mass salesman from <laughs> Ocarina of Time and he Majora's Mask? He gets so upset. So upset. I, I I've thought about that the happy mask day though like for all of this uh, like uh, I really have which is so that's funny that you brought that up but they're like all these different phases all the different things that we can do and uh, only a percentage of you will understand what we're talking about. George totally played Zelda. He did. I didn't. Daniela Harker maybe also did. Brand owned goes to Cold Hands for being so mysterious and badass. Wish they'd included him in the show. Me too. An honorary own goes to Hodor because Hodor. Daniela. I'm with you. Arya own goes to the Titan of Bravos and the throwback to another of Old Nan's tales. I wonder which of her stories will come true first. Ooh. Mm. Next, we have Jeff Lightfoot who says, "Own for Brand Chapter goes to Old Nan. It seems like wherever we go, somewhere new or meet a new group of people, all the background knowledge we have comes from her." When George finishes the last book, he needs to work on a Tale of Beauty the Bard type book for her. Yes, I love that. Side owned to Hodor's Hodors, which are not quite as Hodory north of the wall. <laughs> they are not. And then side-owned. Jeff says, owned to Arya at the very start of the chapter where she begins daydreaming on the front of the ship about possibly going home and then says, but that was stupid. She was almost like the old Sansa for a minute and then reverted straight back to the Arya we love. Two steps at a time. That's right. Two steps at a time. I have to hear from Brienne of Tarth over on Twitter, actually. Uh, Arya Own goes to Arya's impending identity crisis. Hashtag Nan. Hashtag Airy. Hashtag no one. Hashtag cat of the canals. <laughs> okay. Good. And uh, uh, Bran Own, reluctantly given, I might add, uh, Own goes to Cold Hands for being probably one of the series' biggest mysteries. Hear ye, hear ye. Mm-hmm. I'll agree to that. Reese Palazzolo says, Bran Owen goes to Cold Hands for being such a badass undead mofo that he took on five deserters of the Night's Watch single-handedly. See, because ravens don't have hands. See what <laughs> I did there. <laughs> yes, we see. We see. Uh, Arya gets the own for her chapter for not only kissing the skull of the kindly man, but also eating his worm too. In my opinion, this would have made for a great scene if only it had been included in the show. Agreed. Agreed, but he was too busy closing the door on her face. Mark Mahal 
his brand own goes to Summer for roughing up One Eye slash Varamir Six Skins and making the pack his own. Even in his second life, Varamir is being owned by the Starks. And for Arya, I usually don't give owns to the point of view character, but for this chapter, I have to break that rule. That doesn't exist. <laughs> Arya has to have the own for trying to eat the grave worm crawling out of the kindly man's eye socket. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Emily Bryce. Stark children own this book. I miss Bran from the show. So stoked for next season. So reading him was a joy. And Cameron Ross. Bran owned Ghost to Cold Hands. Backup singers. <laughs> <laughs> yours! Yours! The crows. Yours, While they can help in yours, battle, <laughs> being yours. intimidating sight to behold, they are best used to convince others of your point when they are repeating what you say. Jon Snow knows this firsthand. Arya own goes to the worm in the kindly man's eye, a tasty addition to a great disguise. Hashtag chorus of crows, hashtag early wolf gets the worm. Should we make a Yes. Would you like to come in for a spot of tea? Yes, were the crows that the crows killed the traitors from Craster Keep. Uh, yeah, I, I, that was my impression. Scott Harity says, Bran owned Jojen Reed, wise beyond his stature, he shut down Mira when she insisted he needs to eat. Quote, I just want to eat. This is not the day I die, sister. <laughs> or I, I just want to rest. <laughs> this is not the day I die, sister. I promise you. There we go. Uh, Arya owned the pale faces under the titan's armored skirts, ready to rain arrows on unwanted visitors. They need some vitamin D up in that groin. <laughs> Hashtag day shift oh in the crotch of death. <laughs> That hashtag gets my uh, additional own for our this week. <laughs> wow. Uh, we also had a few emails sent in. The first from Nick Hartley, who does not sew, and he says, mm -hmm. My own for brand goes to Mirror for being once again the voice of reason and the only useful member of the group that left Winterfell. <laughs> it's weird how much blind faith Jojen and Bran put in cold hands. I like the fact that Mirror notices that something isn't right with him and maybe he shouldn't be trusted. She's also apparently the only one who can still find food worth eating with any regularity. My own for Arya goes to the Titan of Bravos. It's such a wonder of the world that stories are told to children as far away as Winterfell to keep them in line. Joe Schaefer wrote in uh, to us via email. My brand own goes to Cold Hands for fighting Batman Begins style, emerging from a swarm of ravens in the night to attack. Good on him for killing some of the men who betrayed Lord Commander Mormont. <laughs> Uh, also, secondary brand own for cold hands again. Okay, two owns for cold hands. For passing off Long Pig as a sow and everyone being so hungry that no mm -hmm. one called him on it. We are only beginning our dance with cannibalism in Dance with Dragons. <laughs> Poor Hodor's like Yikes. just licking his fingers so he happy. Loves it. Hodor's got his. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's man. the first time his Hodor has sounded any remotely as south of the wall Hodor's the whole time he's been north of the wall Hodor's. And he's eating another human being. The grease and the charred flesh that he's holding in his hand, which is like burning him because the smoke is coming through his Stop, fingertips. Stop, Eric. You're making us hungry. <laughs> I know, right? Stop. My, I just saw that part of The Walking Dead, too. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, on with Joe's email, my Arya own, is given to the Titan of Bravos. What a cool feature of a city. George's Ode to the Colossus of Rhodes. I love George's references to history and landmarks. Thank you, Joe, for writing. Thank you, Joe. Jason Osara says, My own for both Bran and Arya goes to the symmetry of these two chapters. Both chapters feature references to old non-stories. In Arya's case, the story of the Titan of Bravos eating little girls is really just a story. In Bran's, however, 
we know that there are monsters beyond the wall that are waiting to descend south. The other bit of symmetry goes to Old Nan and Cold Hands, two characters who are mentioned often but who we know very little about. Who was Old Nan? To what house did she belong? What else did she know? Same for Cold Hands. We know he was a man of the Night's Watch and knows who Bran is, but that's it. And an honor I own to Game of Owns because it's n- if not for combining these two books, I don't think I would have seen the parallels of these chapters so clearly. Awesome job. Woo! That's awesome. Dragon. That's why we're doing that's why we're doing com. it this way. Yeah, thanks to <laughs> Andrew and Brendan for helping us put this together. This has been a lot of fun so far mm-hmm. and I think it's like really, really starting to coalesce as we continue. And uh, I'll just read the next one. Shannon Stevens, my own ghost old nan for both chapters. Lots of old nan love. That's so good this late into the series. We're about to go into season six. We're in right now. This is a owning from the fourth and fifth books. And an own says old nan for both chapters. Can we just appreciate how much she scared the crap out of the Stark children over all these years? (laughs) Yep. I'd like to add and us. Yeah. Finally on Facebook, Alma Lidman says creepy bran own goes to the meat cold hands brought back killed a pig did he when there had been no sign of wildlife anywhere and even summer could only catch the scent of humans dead mutineers the ones cold hands went after the ones cold hands admitted to killing yeah i don't think it was a pig he brought back long pig maybe what does pig. that mean? That's what you call human flesh. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Well, uh, what a great <laughs> way to uh, wrap up our own <laughs> for uh, these two chapters. Uh, I, I do agree. A lot of old Nan love, and I think that that is where we should really focus our attention, not on what Cold Hands brought home from for Morally <laughs> ambiguous diets <laughs> yeah. of our characters moving further in the Who series. Guys, he just got takeout, okay? He went to uh, <laughs> <laughs> the local barbecue place and... Uh, and then Black and Crow. Mm. Do you think they have Culver's north of the wall? Well, if you would like to share your owns from these chapters or any others that we read through in the future, you may do so in any number of ways that you heard just before. You can uh, tweet at us at Game of Owns on Twitter, scroll upon our Facebook wall at facebook.com slash Game of Owns, or send us an email at contact at Game of Join our discussions of the chapters throughout the week on our Patreon feed. It's like a very convenient place to do it. Plus, that's where we collect our bannermen, you and those who are viewers, subscribers, supporters, friends of a squad of ice and fire. Ooh. 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 It's not a scary podcast. But <laughs> tell your father I'm here. But it's it's uh, the one we make. Please enjoy it. Patreon.com slash Q. And thank you. For supporting our podcast, 2016 is going to be a big year for the Game of Thrones uh, world, and we're happy to be a part of it. For sure. Mm-hmm. You can also uh, leave us your feedback by uh, giving us a rate and review over on iTunes. It is the month of, munch. <laughs> <laughs> it is the month of March, so nothing Still less thinking than about five eating. stars you hungry? is acceptable. <laughs> Yum. Yeah, I want some of that uh, takeout that Cold Hands brought back. Yeah, if not that or the Bones. worms. Yeah, the worm. That that works too. Yeah. Although that's deceiving because it just fades away into thin air. Yeah. Better than acorn paste. <laughs> and uh, we'll make sure we uh, read a couple of those reviews uh, on an upcoming episode before <laughs> we get into the season. But uh, especially, though, w- w- mentioning the season coming up, it is really important. Uh, other f- potential listeners know that we exist and the best way for that is 
for them to read a review on iTunes and say, hey, I'm going to give this a listen. So another way you can go about supporting the show is by leaving a review. And uh, we thank you in advance for those. Yeah, it's a different world than it used to be. Now come around season time, there are a lot of Game of Thrones podcasts. Yeah. A lot, Mm -hmm. a lot of Game of Thrones podcasts. Help other people find our squad. So next week, we will go back to visit with Tyrion, but also see Danny for the first time. Hey. How's she doing? I guess we're going to find out. So let us savor these last couple chapters of A Dance of Dragons before season Mad six. Mad flesh. Mm. What do you think the going rate for a pound of Night's Watch is? Um, three space heaters. One bloody coin. Mm.